Hello, my name is Evan Jacobs and welcome to the Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir Aftermath podcast. These interviews are part of an ongoing series chronicling the hardcore punk music scene in Orange County, California and sometimes elsewhere. They are an addendum to the film Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir. This is a documentary I made that chronicles the 1990s hardcore punk scene. You can stream Orange County Hardcore Scene Stir on Vimeo. For $2 a month, you can watch every Anadimia film by subscribing to Anadimia Films Unlimited on Vimeo. Links for all this stuff are in each episode description. To support this podcast, please like, rate, and review it. Also, please subscribe to Anadimia Films TV on YouTube, where you can view all of these podcasts in their original video form. No, no, I, I have no problem with what you called the, your, your documentary, you know, the Orange County Hardcore Scene. So I just, I thought it was weird that you contacted me to be to be interviewed for it because I, I feel like I was never like a part of really of any of, of that. And I was, I felt like I was always sort of on the periphery, you know? Well, number one, that's exactly why you should be talked to because... The fact that you felt like you were on the periphery in this scene that's supposedly like so inclusive and come one, come all. The fact that you felt that way um, is like, I want to talk to as many people as I can. And number two, like, as, as I, as I, as I was saying, like, I think you really, whether you meant to or not, you really put your print on the zine, even before doing life sentence records, like I think you were a unique personality within a scene. And then on top of that, what you did with life sentence records, you know, which leads me to my my next question about that. So you were doing life sentence records, and how like can you kind of tell the story of that? Because the last time we spoke, we had a really nice meal at International House of Pancakes. Um, you uh, were you were doing like an exclusive with Rev, and then it seems like the label then is no longer in existence. I could be wrong. Can can, can you kind of take me from that? It was like two thousand and two, I think, or two thousand and four. Um. Well, it was it was an interesting time in music then, right? I mean, it was there was all like the, the file sharing and the. Um, you know the the Napster and, and all of that, and it was it was just a hard time for a small labor to you know to to do anything. I mean, when I'm when I'm pressing you know a couple thousand records, a couple thousand CDs, and it's it's hard to move them because of you know the file sharing. Um, it, it just made it hard to do the label. You know, it was like it, it, there was a point where I wanted the label to be more than just like a hobby. You know, and I had really looked at the label as a hobby for the entirety of the label. You know, I, I never, I never really survived off the label. I, I never, you know, paid bills off the label. It was always, you know, putting money on credit cards to put a record out to hopefully sell enough records to put, you know, pay back to my credit card. Um, so it was, it was never, it was never like a, like a, a big label and, and, you know, you know, being, exclusively distributed by Rev was was great because we used to, you know, 
you know, send them 20 records or whatever and send, you know, 20 records to very distribution and send oh, yeah. you know, 20 records to all these other random people. And then, you know, then I would just run and chase these people down t- for 60 bucks or whatever, you know, it was, it was ridiculous, you know, I, but, um, but when we went exclusive with Rev, you know, Rev could get us in more stores and Rev got to deal with all of the other distributors, you know, and um, and, and gets paid on a, on a relatively um, frequent basis. You know, we we never like I don't I don't think you know looking at it now I don't think you know going exclusive to Rev really made us sell more records. Um, it's it, it, it saved me time from having to chase down you know a hundred dollars from this guy or hundred dollars from this guy or. You know, and it was it was just nice to ship everything to one one spot and just have them sort of deal with it. You know, um, they they also had you know some interesting programs to help us you know get our records out, um, you know, to different places for review and, and all of that. And it saved me a lot of postage from having to put my records to send to all these different people when when they would just take you know a percentage of the records I send them and send them out when they send their records out. So I felt like we got some decent, more press, but I don't, I don't think we sold more records. I mean, there, there wasn't a time where we went from selling like 1,000 records to like 10,000 records, you know, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was still, you know, small, you know, small amounts of records and CDs being sold. Do you think it's interesting how things have sort of cycled back to everyone's doing the file sharing, everyone's doing MP3s and whatnot, and then now labels are releasing like limited edition like CDs, limited edition vinyl, limited edition cassettes. Like it's it's sort of like physical has taken on a different meaning now, whereas there's still the streaming aspect of it. But it's almost like doing a record label really seems like now it's really geared more towards the collectors than people, the casual people that just want to hear music. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not involved with the hardcore scene really anymore. So I, I don't. I don't know what's going on at the shows or whatever. But I know that um, you know kids like to collect things. You know, um, and, and every once in a while I think to myself, you know what? I'm going to put on another record, and then I think, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, max out another credit card for for another stupid you know endeavor. So I, so I don't do it. But um, but uh, I've thought about it over the years of trying to you know put out more. To put out more stuff, and it, it would always be just like limited edition seven inches, you know. But but at you know at that level, when you're doing limited edition seven inches, um, you know, you're you're definitely you know it's it's probably tricky to break even even on that stuff, you know. I mean, records are, are so much more to produce now than they used to be. You used to be able to press you know probably a seven inch record on black vinyl for 60, 70 cents, you know, yeah. all included. And uh, I've got a couple. Buddies who have record labels now, and they're telling me it costs them like three or four dollars to do a seven inch. And um, where, where do you sell a seven inch? You know, you can't wholesale, you know, seven inches for you know that much, you know, over four dollars. I would think that'd be ridiculous. I remember wholesaling seven inches for two dollars, and and thinking I was just like, you know, like I was a millionaire at the time or something because I'd sell you twenty seven inches and I'd make eighty dollars you know, out of it. Um, but it was, yeah. I, I've thought of, I've thought about it over the years a bit, you know. But I've never like thought seriously about it. 
So what year did life sentence records kind of cease to be in operation? Um, I don't know. I can't remember the exact year. Um, it was it was in the, it was probably around the time that you had said that we were that we had petered out. Um, I just sort of ran out of steam, you know. I had done. I remember I did the, the Grimlock, the Crusher EP, and. That was like my most expensive CD I had ever. I remember heard. the the CD like art. I was like, "Wow, this is like." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I was like, "Man, this CD is going to be like hate breed. This is going to be like my my you know, I don't know. I was thinking that it was gonna it was gonna do great things for the label, and I remember they broke up before the album even came out. <laughs> And it was that was my largest press of a record ever. And How I many? remember I was getting ready to move from Salt Lake City uh, to Minnesota for work, or maybe I was moving it back out to maybe I was moving out to North Carolina for work because I, I sort of moved from Salt Lake to Minnesota and then back to Salt Lake and then uh, from Salt Lake out here to North Carolina. And I remember uh, I took these Grimlock CDs and I filled up two trash cans full of Grimlock CDs. And I just put them out on the curb, you know, just let the, the garbage man came and take them. And it was just thousands of CDs that just went to the dump that day, you know. And that was your most expensive release. Like, you, but you just couldn't take them. Like, it was, it was, you, you, you had yeah, to do that. It was too much stuff to move, you know, and, and they weren't, they weren't selling, you know. Um, because I did an EP for them before, and it did it did pretty well. Um, and then they sort of started playing shows, and they were you know pretty getting pretty popular. Um, and then that that Crusher CD was really good. You know, the musical the like the quality of it was good, and the production value was good. And I did posters and shirts and everything. And then it was just it all just kind of sat in my garage, and just spiders crawled all over it. And I was like, you know what? I've just got to get rid of all these. And, and I just threw them all away, man. I, I still got some out in the garage here. Um, but yeah, they just they collect dust in the, the garage here in North Carolina. Now, so. so you stop doing that. And um, what what do you do now? Like like in terms of like like a job? Like I, I know you do something, but, but what is it? Like So you didn't become an archaeologist. This, this whole time yeah, I've been imagining I, that. Yeah, I work for a software company. So okay. You, uh, like software project management, um, um, software consulting. And, and is, it, is that something you did in the Marines? Like, like, is that how you got into that? Like, or have you just no. always known that? No, so I, I was, I did like, I, I was a jet engine mechanic when I was in the Marines. And so I'm really far from there in this new job. But um, um, I started. I also did like quality control, like quality assurance when I was in the military. And um, I, I got a job working in a software company doing like quality assurance. And that was sort of my fight into a software company. So I, I started, uh, you know, working for software companies and then from that company to another company. And I, I ended up, you know, in this sort of line of work. And, um, you know, once you, once you do like what I do for this software company, it's, those skills are kind of easily transferable to other types of companies, other types of software. So um, I just ended up ended up here. And when you say quality assurance, is that going through like like code and like making sure that everything is kind of 
going to compute correctly or no? Yeah, I'd say that it's a big term, right? So it could be either, you know, testing of the software to, um, to just various types of testing, I guess, is, is really what it is. And uh, I don't do quality assurance anymore at all. I do web software consulting now. So if someone would buy our software and I would help them to configure the software to do what they want it to do type, type of thing. It's, it's a immensely boring and unsatisfying. <laughs> do you think you'll ever do a band again? No, I don't know. I'd about every two years, uh, Richie from Excessive Force contacts me and he's like, hey, we should do the band, man. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just so, uh, just it's so done. You know, I mean, I've I just have no no drive for that. I, I don't really know anything about the hardcore scene.